Food bloggers, hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. We get to hear a pretty amazing story today inside this episode. Marin is a member inside of my mastermind group. As people who have watched her story unfold, we've all been so inspired by the progress that she's made that we encouraged her to be on eBlog Talk. So she finally is here to share her story. She went from having 5,000 page views in May 2022 to upward of 85K page views here in early February 2023. You are going to be so inspired by this story. It's not a story of fast success. She had previous years of failing over and over like a lot of us do, and she just decided to dig into the work, join a mastermind group, invest in us, and learn as much as she could to just get the job done and get onto an ad network, which she did. So enjoy this episode. You guys are going to be so inspired. It is episode number 402, and it is sponsored by Rank IQ. Do you need help navigating Google Analytics? Maybe you specifically need to understand how to set up and use GA4 and use your Google Search Console to its fullest potential. Sign up for the virtual workshop put on by Tastemaker that dives into these topics. There will be four expert speakers to provide valuable information that will help you get the most out of GA4 and GSC. The workshop takes place live on Zoom on April 21st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. EST. Limited spots are available. Be sure to join the waitlist to get first access to these tickets. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash resources and scroll down to the orange button underneath the Tastemaker logo for more information and to sign up. Marin Epstein is a health supportive chef with a degree from the Natural Gourmet Institute, which is a part of the Institute of Culinary Education, and a bachelor's degree from Drew University. She specializes in developing diets and recipes for gut health that are gluten-free. She has published food pieces in the New York Daily News and The Independent, along with many recipes for Mashed, Healthline, Tasting Table, and more. Hello, Marin. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Super excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast for years, and now I can't believe I'm a guest. Yay! It's very exciting. <laughs> so you have quite a journey to tell us about. You've had seven years of failure followed by seven months of awesome success. I want to hear about it, but first we want to know if you have a fun fact to share. Yeah, actually, lots of fun facts, but a food-related fun fact was that I had a food-related essay for my college acceptance letter. I mean, admissions essay, not acceptance letter. Sorry, I'm thinking about kindergarten because my daughter's <laughs> kindergarten and I'm getting all these letters anyway. So I didn't have anybody to tell me at the time that this was a bad idea, but I wrote a satirical essay about ketchup <laughs> for my college essay. And I can't believe I got it anywhere. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. It was called I Put Ketchup on My Ketchup. And it was about how when I was a little kid, I didn't like food. So I would just mask the taste of everything with ketchup. And it was humorous. That's hilarious. Well, my son would so relate to that. Our 15-year-old literally puts ketchup on everything. And it's so gross. Like, 
uh, mac and cheese the other day. We were like, really? Come on. So I wonder if he's, I wonder if he's trying to mask the flavor of stuff now. Now I'm curious. I need to read your essay. I'll have to find a copy of it, but That'd yeah, be awesome. I, I put it on everything. It was disgusting. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> do you like ketchup now? Is it something that you even can tolerate? You know, now I do. I, I was so healthy. I would never touch ketchup, but now it's organic and I've I have a five-year-old. There's ketchup everywhere. Yeah. Of course, like I love it on my eggs still. Yeah. It's still still weird, but it's not as weird <laughs> as it was. That's awesome. All right. Well, you have an amazing story, Marin. I've had a front row seat in your story too. So it's been really fun yes. to kind of watch this last uh, seven or eight months evolve for you. It's been so cool. So I would love for you to tell us about those seven years of failure that I referred to earlier. Sure. Well, Failure might be a strong word, but it's not untrue. So basically, I always wanted a food blog. I used to read, you know, some of the more common ones, Pinch of Young, then in my own niche, Detoxinista, I loved. And I just thought it was so cool how they developed recipes. I loved the photos. It just seemed so like so much fun. And so I started a food blog. And after years of thinking about it, my previous career, I had a a sabbatical from work because my cousin died who I was really close to. And I just decided, screw it. I'm going to culinary school. So I went and got a supportive health supportive culinary degree from the natural gourmet Institute, which is now part of ice. And I decided to make a blog that I said to everybody was really just to help my clients. Cause I had a very successful practice in brick and mortar and it was a great, you know, suppository of recipes to help people. Cause I was, a gut health specialist, a colon hydrotherapist, and I would tell people what to eat, but I couldn't tell them how to make it taste good. So after moving from the back end to the front end with food, I started the blog and I started doing all the things, Pinterest, Facebook, I joined Food Blogger Pro, and I got going. But there were some pretty big mistakes right from the get-go. I just posted whatever I wanted with no attention to keyword research. You know, I just... I, I wrote about things that were very, very niche and no one would ever find it. So I got most of my clicks from my email and then some things floated to the top of Google that had searchability, but that was all by accident. Truly had no idea. Uh, I think I think like all of my traffic came from one Guatemalan hot sauce post. Nice. Like literally that was it. <laughs> and an eggplant pate, which nobody calls it eggplant oh. pate they call it an eggplant spread but because i did something a little bit off base again i floated to the top of the serps but i was always busy with my practice and then i opened up a second location and the blog kind of I, it took a back seat so i updated it maybe once a month never really got anywhere then i tried to learn so i joined you know food blogger central group started learning a little bit and Oh, this is an embarrassing one, but I'll tell you. I broke a Pinterest rule. I don't know what I did. Oh. And I got kicked out of the group. So I was like, well, now blogging is a black box. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And so, you know, I just kind of let it go. Then my daughter was born and blogging became a really fun outlet to just explore, you know, while I was home with her to shoot recipes and I got into it again. But again, I only posted maybe a recipe a month. There was very little search done. And it was more just to service the clients who were already coming to me. But then the pandemic hit. And of course, 
everybody who could did start blogging. But I just didn't really know what to do with myself with the two-year-olds in tow and shutting down both locations where I was working. Couldn't go ride my horse. And I just didn't know what to do. So I decided not to focus on what I didn't have, but to try to focus on what I did have. And I had this kind of crappy little food blog that had a DA of 25. So it at least it had longevity. I was like, well, you know, let's dig into this. So in the beginning of the pandemic, I wanted to qualify for Mediavine. I think it was still at 25,000 at the time. So it felt kind of doable. I was plugging away with, again, my crappy host. I was on Bluehost, another mistake, Ooh, and a, yeah. custom theme, a custom theme, which was also a terrible idea. So there were just a lot of things. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing with analytics. And just to move this along a little faster, I just didn't know what I was doing. So I started doing SEO, updating posts that were better, but not great, not seeing a lot of results. And it took me so long to do one single recipe post that I felt like I wouldn't even know if my strategy was working until six months down the line. <laughs> and then I could have just wasted a whole nother six months. So I became just so frustrated with the lack of knowing if something was working having to wait so long to see if something worked that it just seemed insurmountable. I didn't know how anybody succeeded. And I had friends like Melissa from vegan, vegan hugs helped me and I just didn't get it. So I decided to go into more VA work. I got an email. I signed up for Harrow, help a reporter out, which I highly recommend for anybody building backlinks. It was a great way to get links built, but I decided I want to write a book instead. So I took a class on publishing the first week of the pandemic. And I got two pieces published, one in the New York Daily News and the other in the Independent, which was pretty cool. My teacher, you know, who published 17 books herself, thought that that was enough to get me a, a cookbook deal. And I appreciate her help. So I went to an agent, I made a huge proposal. And you know, it just it wasn't enough, you know, 10,000 views on my website, didn't do it versus people who publish a lot of memoirs they don't necessarily need a huge platform they just need three good pieces published in like the new york times puff post things like that it, we'll get the job done for a, a book deal where you know as food blogger you need a huge audience and so i decided to pull back and work on my blog but as i got frustrated i started doing client work so on harrow so um there was a pitch from mash for recipe developers. And I applied, they hired me. So for a year, I just pumped out 25 recipes for them a month. And it was actually really freeing because I made what felt like at the time good money. Now I know it was not good, but I worked in such high volume that I was making a full-time salary from it. But in the meantime, that left no time for eating works. So it again, continued to slowly wither away. After that, my contract ended with Mashed. Then I started, I picked up another freelance job with a company called Orderific. And I started doing a lot of blogging for them, which slowed down my growth as well. So that's why the growth was so slow. Then I met you. I joined the mastermind. I said, this is the year of eating works. It's either going to make it, it's going to sink or it's going to swim. I, I either remember, sell it at the end I remember of that call. You were like, yeah. I, either it's going to make it in a year or I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, literally. I was like, I'm, I'm going to sell it or whatever I can get for it, or it's going to make it. But this is it. This is the last year. I get to Mediavine or nothing. So you guys really helped me dig in. And the one tidbit I discovered from your podcast before I even got to you guys was supplemental content. 
my husband for years has been telling me to write articles, write articles. I'm like, Nobody wants articles. Articles are boring. They want recipes, pictures. It's like, no articles. And then I went into my analytics and I realized all of my articles were ranking, whether they were searchable or not. Their Google clearly found something searchable in each one. So I was like, huh, there's something to this. So I wrote a really simple article about tahini. Is tahini keto friendly or is tahini gluten free? And before I knew it, my search traffic like doubled from this one post, nice. you know, and it was fast. And I was like, oh, there's something to this. And then I learned about Rank IQ and saw that there was a whole new world of supplemental content <laughs> because the, what that did for me was allowed me to compete in a less competitive space and also to turn out content a lot faster. Because unlike a lot of bloggers, I love to write. I could write all day. I could do nothing else. I could just write articles. So I love that. And I started publishing up to two posts per day at one point. And while it felt insurmountable, my search traffic grew. And with your help, web stories also helped a lot through searching Google Trends, and somehow, finally, I hit Mediabun. But it was seven months of grinding after seven years of failing and flailing that finally did the trick. Such an amazing story. It's not like an overnight success like we hear frequently, like, oh, I just started last year and I'm on Mediavine. That somehow is just like, what? But you're I mean, good for them. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. Everyone has their own story. And I always say that embrace whatever your story is. But your story is so amazing. And we've just had the opportunity to watch you, Marin, grow, go from feeling like you were flailing to now you're on Mediavine and you've surpassed it. You're not just at 50K. I think you went from like just barely 50K to like 63 and now upward of that. So it's like gaining momentum. 67,000. It went from 5,000 in April to 67,000 to date. Yeah. So amazing. So exciting to see that. So rewind a year ago or not even a year ago when you were like, oh gosh, I don't know if I can do this. And now you're here. So... Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. So talk about the supplemental content on Rank IQ a little bit because I think that really was the thing that changed everything for you when you saw the opportunity there. Being someone who liked to write and who could write fast, I think you were just like, oh, this is it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So before I even found Rank IQ, I just started looking for keywords on key search for supplemental content like substitution articles and articles about ingredients. Is this, this, is this, that, how, and then how to post, like how to reheat something, how to store something. And um, then when I found Rank IQ, I just started downloading reports and running with it. And I really taught myself how to write comprehensive posts. And I didn't just use the content checker. I also would compare my stuff to other bloggers out there. And really take the time to cover absolutely every single point about broccoli I could. I mean, get really nitty gritty. So that was a real turning point. Yeah. And not to mention Rank IQ makes it so much easier because when I don't I don't spend hours and hours doing keyword research all the time anymore. I just go in there and sometimes I can find something that will work. And if I do, I use it. And even if I can't, it's always a great way to find uh, H2 topics. Right. It's like you're hand-delivered the silver platter of keywords that are guaranteed to work, basically. I mean, they don't all get me on page one, but a lot of them do. 
And if I'm not on page one, I'm usually like not far behind. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the stuff usually ranks on the first three pages, like within a day or two for me. If somebody listening is like, I don't know what you're talking about with supplemental content. I mean, you did give a few examples, like the tahini example. What else can people expect? To me, supplemental content is basically any kind of content on your blog that supports a recipe or a concept that you blog about. So let's say you have a really popular chicken recipe. A, sub, a way to boost that post would be to write other articles to support it and link to it. So you create a whole web of, of content that supports that recipe. So basically you want to look at your blog as a web. The more connected you can create, con- you can make your content, the better it will be. So not only will you rank for your chicken recipe, but you will rank for your supportive content, which will then draw more eyeballs to your chicken recipe. It also gives you more authority. So what that would look like is if you had chicken recipe, you would then make different posts about it, like top 10 pans for baked chicken. How long does chicken last in the fridge? What's the best way to reheat chicken? What are the health benefits of eating chicken? Then if you're a, you have a diet specific type of blog, you know, is chicken gluten-free? Is chicken keto friendly? Is chicken paleo friendly? There are just so many things that you could cover. And uh, what you could do in your posts, in your recipe posts, is that you then go back and you make all of your, your content in the recipe H2s that link out to those supplemental posts. Mm. And then in those supplemental posts, you link to that recipe. And then you also can link that recipe into bigger pieces of content like roundups. So I have noticed if I do, if I start writing multiple pieces of supplemental content about a topic, so let's say chicken, since you use that, that even if I have a chicken recipe that's like super competitive, I start ranking better for that just because I have the supplemental content lifting it up. And then if I add web stories to it, if I add maybe a web story about you know, how long does chicken last in the fridge or something really specific like that, and then link to your chicken and all of that other supplemental content that everything gets lifted up. It's true. Everything lifts. It's like um, they're, they're, the supplemental con- content acts like a floater and helps mm. lift those boat anchors off the ground. So if you have more competitive stuff that you want to rank, it's a great way to kind of help it float. You just said it way better than I did that was the best analogy. So you use web stories pretty effectively too. So talk about your strategy with that. Sure. Well, I have the best strategy really has been to write like a rank IQ article and then find using Google trends, what's trending in web stories, and then make a web story about that trending piece and link it to the rank IQ article 24 hours after that article was posted. Ah, that's good. And then to duplicate that story and change it a little bit and just redo it because web stories are a bit of a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to work and what's not. So you mm-hmm. kind of just have to do a bunch of them. How often do you duplicate stories? Uh, you won't like the answer to that. But <laughs> I would say I duplicated each one twice and would change the title. And sometimes I wouldn't even change the cover photo. Although I started doing that after one of our meetings because I was being a little lazy there with my VA. And I would always 
press the duplicate button just to make it easier for myself. After I made one web story, I would just duplicate it and then swap the photos and the text and the alt texts out just to make it faster. But I, while I was trying to qualify, I was publishing about 12 web stories a day. Oh my gosh, Marin. It was wild. I've since pulled back. So the web story traffic has gone down a little bit, but I'm also no longer focused solely on the numbers. Well, that's a lot of hard work you've put in. And do you believe in quantity over quality? I mean, I know that you write very quality posts, but what are your thoughts about quality versus quantity? For web stories, I think quantity. Okay. To be honest, I mean, I think there are probably people who've had more success on web stories than I have, but you just never know what's going to be successful. And when you need to get to a certain number of traffic within a 30-day period, you just kind of have to go for it. You have to do quality and quantity at the same time. But if you're spending hours on one web story and making it beautiful and then it goes nowhere, you're just going to get upset. So that's what I did in the beginning. I had a few instant successes, got really excited and then kept going with really high quality web stories. You got nothing for a month and was totally disheartened. So whatever you do, whatever your level of perfection is, it just has to not take that long. So find a basic structure that works for you and stick with it. If you want really nice web stories, eventually you could always hire somebody or focus on that more. But I wouldn't take away from building, you know, build your build your foundation. Your content is the most important thing. And that's what you should be prioritizing in your workday if you're trying to qualify for Mediavine. Content is always king because web stories will give you a boost of traffic and then they tend to die off. A lot of my web stories still send traffic, but the wild success of my web stories was from the rapid fire strategy. Consistency, just putting out content consistently. I see that all the time in the mastermind. People come into the group and we are always promoting web stories. Like, you've got to do these. If you want a traffic boost, this has to be part of your plan. And people start doing it and then they fall off and they get frustrated and we're like, no, 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 you have to keep going. It is such a good way to get steady traffic, but it's something that you do have to push through because most people do fall off for a period. And yours was like a month, you said? You had like nothing? Yeah. yeah. I, I just didn't, like nothing really took off. Yeah. So I had one, my first one was, you know, summer yellow squash recipes and got like 200,000 impressions and like 15,000 clicks from it or something. And I was like, wow, this is going to be the thing that gets me to be divine. So then when it didn't, it was very disheartening. Yeah. Just find the amount that you can realistically do and just do that and try and do it consistently, whether it be yourself or somebody that you hire. Yes. Great advice. I want to ask you about writing again, because I know you love to write. You're Mm -hmm. so fast with kicking out content and articles. What if somebody listening does not necessarily like to write? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think writing is always hard to do, especially when you're starting from scratch and even if it's a topic that you don't know a lot about. So my, I really like to just break things down and look at, don't look at a whole blog post, but look at the outline. So I always start by making an outline and make it as comprehensive as possible by reviewing you know, the top 10 to 30 posts on a topic and write down all of the H2s that they cover in a document, make make an outline that way, and take a break after that. <laughs> then come back to it and look at each H2 and just answer one at a time, very simply and quickly. 
don't get me just and then I like to like in my notebook when I'm having trouble writing I and it feels like a grind I just I tally off every H2 and then after I've done five then I I'm like okay I did five I only have 15 left I just keep going not to mention if you're writing about something you probably already wrote about it in the past so you can dig into older blog posts and lift content from those posts and put into your your supplemental content which is another great way to do it so once you have something like, I don't know, a hundred articles of supplemental content, you'll start to cover a lot of topics over and over again. And you can use H2s from the previous supplemental content to help uh, round out the current articles. So you're not always writing a whole article Mm -hmm. from scratch. Sometimes 33% of an article, you just, you took it from another relevant post, changed it around a little bit to suit this topic and went from there. And then if you're really brain foggy, if you have a specific format, that really helps. So I like to do a lot of, is this gluten-free posts or is this keto? And I will go into a, a post that's been successful for me and follow line by line how I wrote that post. Oh, yeah. That's really, that's good advice. Just taking things that do well and looking at what you did. I did that with my what to serve with posts. I think I've told you guys about this in the mastermind group. I wrote a post about what to serve with sweet potatoes just like on a whim. Honestly, I had no strategy behind that at all. And it did really well. It took off. And I was like, what the heck? At first, I thought it was because it was about sweet potatoes because I have quite a few sweet potato recipes on my blog. So I started writing more about sweet potatoes and that wasn't it. Those didn't take off. So then I looked at, okay, it's the what to serve with dot, dot, dot. So I started writing more of those in the exact structure that I wrote that initial roundup post in. And now pretty much everything I write in that format does well. So like look at what works and just keep doing that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Google already thinks you're good at something. Just keep going. And then Google will think you're good at something else. And then you can start to spread out your your style. Don't argue with what Google thinks you're good at. Go with it. (laughs) Roll with it. Yeah. Google will always win. I mean, we're all here to serve Google. Yes. Right. We are here to serve you, Google. And our users. Oh, right. Right. There's that user. (laughs) There is that user. On your path to massive traffic, I know there are other things that tried to pull your attention away because you're a food blogger. There's all like Pinterest and social media and all the things. How did you deal with that? Well, I just said no to Pinterest. Yeah. I said no to Pinterest and you and everybody else in our group was like, Marin, Pinterest. And I would try and every time it would just suck too many hours away. And I just eventually said, you know, it's just, it's just not worth it. Let me stick with what works. And I knew that I, I only have a few hours. I mean, we all have limited time, right? But I don't have a lot of protected time during the day where I can sit down and really focus. So I just wanted to use that limited time where I knew it would best benefit me in the long term, which I knew was in Google SERPs. So I said no to growing my Instagram. I said no to anything that wasn't bringing immediate traffic to my site. So I say stay focused and stay in your lane. Mm, I love that. And social media for you, how did you deal with that? Well, I posted a lot to Facebook. And I did still post Instagram. I did maybe like one post per week. And if thing, if engagement was really falling off, you know, because I worked so hard on it in the past, I'd run like a $2 ad on a post just to kind of keep it up. But, and Pinterest survived. I mean, if anything, it just increased because as I wrote more content, more people started pinning my stuff. Gotcha, yeah. So 
I still had growth, even though I wasn't active on Pinterest itself. And, you know, none of these things are going away. I mean, even your website, if you took a three month break from your website and you've done good SEO as your your content matures on Google, you'll still see improvement. It may just not be as fast as it would be if you were consistent. Right. Nothing will die if you leave it alone on the internet. It just won't do as well. And I think after a burst, like what you've just done of just pumping out a ton of content, things will mature very rapidly. If you were to step away for a while and come back, I think you'd be really surprised at how well your stuff does. I think you're right. Yeah. Because since I've qualified, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've hit blogger burnout. I've been, yeah. I went from posting maybe twice a day to three times a week. And I've also wanted to focus on fun things. You know, I missed doing Absolutely. new recipes. So I've been doing way more new recipes, which take way longer to do for me than articles, which has just slowed me down. But things are still going up. I mean, every couple of weeks, my Google traffic goes up by like a hundred clicks or so. So, you know, again, you can't discredit all the work you've done in the past, yeah. even if you're not doing a lot of work now, but it is good to be consistent. I am going Marin style and I'm doing six months starting, it started November 1st of 2022. Six mm-hmm. months, I'm doing 80 articles slash, po- like some of them are recipes, but not many. 80. And then I'm going to take writing off for the entire summer. So I'm going to, I'll report back, but I anticipate that that's going to increase my traffic by a lot. Oh, it's going to, for sure. I really do want to take like two months off of writing, but yeah, you should. I don't feel like I deserve it. Thank you. I don't feel like I am where I am. And my VA who you, I've told you about, she's very sweet. She like, she's like, why aren't you publishing the same amount of stuff? (laughs) Because I'm I'm tired. Because that's a lot of stuff to put <laughs> I'm out. I'm tired. <laughs> yes. Like I turn on my computer sometimes and it's, you know, when you turn on an engine and it just, it just doesn't catch. <laughs> like sometimes that's what burnout feels like and you just need to step away. Yeah. What if people are listening to and they're like, this sounds like a lot of work. Do I want to do this? What would you say to them? I would say you really have to be honest with yourself because it really is a lot of work. I mean... I've built pre- businesses in the past, different types of businesses. I see my husband's businesses and blogging is a lot of upfront work for very little. I mean, if I think about how much I've made versus how much work I've put in, oh. just because I have not been doing, not including my, my freelance work, because that was a full-time salary, not including that. It's just not, it's just a lot, it's a lot of work for not a lot of money up, up front. So you have to really want it. You have to be patient and you can't have the stress of having to make money from the blog right away. And if you do, then you need to focus more on sponsored, sponsored work than just SEO. So I think you need to set goals based on what you enjoy. Since I enjoy writing and I don't really enjoy schedules, I like the idea of making most of my income from ads so that I can write what I want when I want and not have somebody to answer to. Yeah. Even though I'd like to do some more sponsored work, I just don't want it to be the bulk of my work. So that's why um, taking the time to qualify for Media Vine was worth it. But if you are a great photographer and you love recipe development, then you know you can build slower and charge great fees to develop recipes for other companies or bloggers. Right. You know, there's lots to do. And you're about to find this out, Marin, but there's a tipping point that you get to when you all of that work that you talked about just like creates this massive flood of revenue and it takes so long to get there and it takes so much work to get there i shouldn't say so long because for some people it's 
shorter, but it does take right. a massive amount of work to get there. But once you're there, it's so, it's so fruitful and so worthwhile. That's what I keep telling myself. Like now that I'm in Mediavine, I'm starting to see money roll in. It's only been a few weeks, so the RPMs are still low. And I'm now going through their content on how to optimize for ads, which is like learning a whole new type of SEO and makes my brain want to fall out of my head. <laughs> but, you know, I know that once I get those RPMs up and the con and the traffic keeps developing, like I'm sure if I continued at the rate I was going at, you know, the traffic could probably grow to about 150 or more, you know, sessions per month, that will be a much more substantial income. So it's amazing to have a business that you could step away from that keeps making money for you that is not tied to your time. Ultimately, the only way to ever build a great, not a great business, but the only ever way to build true wealth or sustainability is to not have a service tied to your time. And being on an ad network, having a blog allows you to do that. But it does not negate the fact that you have to put in a lot of time to build it in the first place. Yep, upfront time and yeah, that upfront time, tears and sweat. <laughs> yeah, but you know, any business, a restaurant usually is in the red for three years. And but the great thing about a blog is that your your costs are low. I mean, sure, it costs money to keep a blog running and it costs money to build one. But you know, you're not renting space. You're not building anything. You don't have to hire full time employees. You don't need a special degree. You could be from any country. You know, you're your barrier of entry is really low. Mm. Being successful is hard, but <laughs> anybody could do it. Right. Oh, that's a really great point. I love that. Anybody could start no matter yeah. where you come from, how much money you have in the bank or your education, which is what makes it so appealing. Right. Any type of human, any age, any ethnicity, any country, like anyone can do this. Anybody. Yeah. yeah. And no matter what, there's always, even though food blogging and blogging in general has become so competitive. There's always somebody there willing to help, whether you're in a mastermind like Megan's, which I highly recommend everybody, or if you're in a Facebook group or an accountability group that you create on your own, people are just really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You'll always have to do the work, but there'll usually be somebody to point you in, in the right direction or at least what they think is the right direction. How do you recommend people find that? I know some of the Facebook groups I've been in have been a little bit more on the toxic side. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but so you have to find the right space. I mean, you have to find a space that's filled with supportive, encouraging people, which there are a ton of food bloggers who fall into that category, but how do you find them? Well, for me, joining your mastermind was really key. I've been in groups before where I, I used to work with Liz from the clean eating couple. She was like my blog coach for a few months. I kind of jumped on board with her a few months before she decided to, you know, move her business in another direction. But, you know, I was devastated when she moved on, but she connected me with other members in her program. And we ended up just kind of keeping each other accountable. So we would have weekly phone calls, which were great. So that was a really good way. But the truth is, I think if you want to find motivated people who are going to show up all the time, they have to pay for it. You know, we joined your mastermind and there was an upfront cost, but that cost kind of was a barrier of entry saying that we are committed. We're going to show up for each other and we're there to do it. So there has to be some form of accountability, whether it be money or time. Yeah, You just have to keep going around and asking people, but usually you can tell who's genuine and who isn't by what they're posting in Facebook groups. 
Yes. And just asking more, more established bloggers like yourself. They usually, you know, have readers who reached out to them and started blogs and, and they're happy to connect you with smaller bloggers. And also seriously, just like go on Facebook and an instant message people in similar niche. Like if, if you're a vegan blogger, message other vegan bloggers. I mean, there's one blogger I messaged who went to the same culinary school as me. They're always happy to, to chat and you may have to go through a few. Not everybody has time, but you'll find people to put in your circle. Use your intuition with that too, I found, because you know, like we all have good intuition. We know if somebody is honest and if we should put our trust in them. So just lean into that too. Yeah. Use your, use your judgment. Yeah. And also educate yourself enough to know which advice is bad. If somebody's telling you to sign up for Bluehost, <laughs> they don't have your Run. best interest at heart. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't care if they're a big food blogger and they're pushing it, but they just don't. So, you know, you have to educate yourself and also, yeah, use your people skills. Right. This is so great. Okay. What are we missing, Marin? Is there anything else you feel like people should know about your journey or maybe their own journeys that might be similar to yours? This is, again, supposed to be helpful for the masses. So I want to keep it more about other people. But at, at the end of the day, quantity. At, even if, you, you're, if you're really feeling disheartened and you just feel like you, your posts don't get it, so many clicks and you're just never going to qualify for media vine off of like uh, less than a hundred posts or something like that. Don't sweat it. Go for quantity. I don't care what you say. Eventually, if you write 500 blog posts, right. even if they all get like, do the math, take 50,000, divide it out by a number of posts and see what minimum page views you will need per post. Then if you keep writing, you will get there. Yeah. Right. You've got to hit a few home runs within 500 posts, right? Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Like, I, you've got to just hit home runs. And sometimes your home runs are going to be so unexpected. I mean, there are some, there are some things I wrote that just seemed absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I could tell you one of the titles. Oh, I want to hear. Yeah. Tell us some of your unexpected. You, you know, one of them, the is soup good for diarrhea post oh, yeah. that got 800 <laughs> clicks lit this month. I mean, it's so random. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. So apparently 800 people a month read about is tomato soup good for diarrhea and is, is soup good for diarrhea? Like, if you again, I I'm a colon therapist, so I have a, you know, I have an expertise in extensive this area. knowledge in diarrhea, extensive <laughs> extensive diarrhea knowledge. So we all know a lot about something, and people search for the nittiest, grittiest things these days. It's like people don't pick up the phone and call their moms as much as they right. consult mommy Google anymore. So if you've got something, write it. Also. Jen and our group taught us so much about Google Search Console, but go into your Google Search Console and see what queries you're coming up for because Google thinks that you're good at those things. So write about them. Mm. Those will be immediate home runs. Mm, great little nugget there. Can I tell you one of my favorite pastimes when I'm bored? I go into Rank IQ and I look at all of the just like I, I like to laugh at some of the keywords that people actually <laughs> search for, like the high volume things that people search for in Google are so funny oh it's my gosh. true I mean you always bring them up in the groups and, and they do seem absolutely ridiculous I just think of like my husband or something like every time like putting a pan in the microwave or something <laughs> yes or what was the other like can you put a banana peel in the air fryer or no was it <laughs> can you put a banana peel somewhere where it did not belong and I was like what people people wonder this this many times a month that's crazy yeah people apparently do it is pretty wild what people it is it's what funny. people search for another good trick people are going to probably hate me for saying this but 
a good one that you can do is you can go and look. There are a lot of bloggers out there who make a lot of money from content, but they're not big on social media. They're just answering questions, you know? And I think those are the ones who are those huge successes. They're just pumping out content. But the way you could see what people are doing and kind of pick apart strategies that work is, is go into people's blogs and check what they're ranking for. Mm. I do that all the, like when I really couldn't get it, I would like look at other blogs and be like, how are they? Why? How? Yeah. I would go into the Hoth rank checker and type in, you know, their things and see with whatever accuracy it had, like what people are ranking for. And it would give me ideas about things to target and like what I could maybe rank for uh, if it was that's a great idea. A lower down blog. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, everybody's got a strategy. Right. And you can it's, it's it's dig into yeah. their strategies by doing that, just seeing what they're ranking for. Yeah, that's how I kind of found my strategy. I would study other bloggers, mm-hmm. rank what they would rank for and what they would write and how they would structure their posts. Marin, you are so inspiring. I'm so just like proud of the progress you've made. It's been so much fun to watch. And I'm just really grateful that you've shown up here on the podcast to share this with everyone. I think everyone will be really inspired by it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been amazing. And for anybody thinking of joining the mastermind, just do it. It's the best decision you'll you'll ever make for your business. Yes. I love it. Totally agree, by the way. Even better than coaches because not only you don't just have a coach pushing you through a program, you have many people there to work through your problems with you, which is so much more powerful. So many different perspectives and skill sets and yeah. and history, areas of expertise. Like yeah, it's so valuable. Yeah, everybody knows something. Right. Everybody's really good at something or some things. Or there's some people in our group like Kara, Brittany, Jen, who are good at many, many things. Yeah. You. It's true. So as as a, I'm lucky I'm in a group with a lot of very mature bloggers. And as a new blogger, I I'm get to learn from all these people who've been doing this for way longer, or at least just more successfully. Yes. Well, it's been amazing to have you in the group. You've inspired all of us as well. So feelings are Thank mutual, Maren. To end, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with us? I like the Stalker Swiss quote off the top of my head. I believe it goes, if you have a brain in your head and feet in your shoes, you can go in any direction you choose. Ooh, I love it so much. And I think we all have brains and feet. Well, most of us. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all have brains and feet. Yes. Or at least, at least we brains. We have wheels. Right. Yes, <laughs> at least brains. Brains and wheels. Yes, right. So we will put together show notes for you, Marin. If anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash eatingworks. Now tell everyone where they can find you on your blog and on social media. Yeah, I blog over at eatingworks.com and on social media, I'm at eatingworks, which is my Instagram handle, Pinterest handle, and my Facebook. TikTok is yet to happen, but that might be a project for 2023. We'll see. Yeah, to be continued. All right. Well, thanks. (laughs) Thanks again, Marin, so much. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.